0: You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. Have you noticed that all good things come in threes? XLR, AES... Meat, Cheese, and Tortillas, Michael Lawrence, Chris Leonard, and Kyle Turnside, and now the Allen & Heath AHM Matrix family, AHM64, AHM32, and AHM16. 96 kHz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Who says matrices have to be boring? Not us. We've never said that. Kyle said it once, but we proved him wrong. Check them out today. Welcome to the Signal and Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, uh, or welcome back if, you, if you've if you heard the show before. Welcome for the first time. If you haven't, we're happy to have you here. As always, I'm joined by the incomparable Kyle Turnside, Chris Leonard, and Sam Boone. Ooh. What's going on, everybody?
1: Incomparable.
0: <laughs> everybody knows you, Kyle. You're a legend. People have used the L word with you. Nope. Yeah, The L word. Nope. Loser. New, new, Loser. Newly back on tour with the Zach Brown band. Pretty cool, man.
1: Yeah doing something new um i was just saying earlier learning the nomenclature of the the shop or the provider or whatever is a is a new thing and uh i don't want to seem stupid so i have a great support staff Uh, you're
2: okay with being uh, stupid you don't want to seem stupid yeah yeah, just make sure we're clear yeah as
1: long as i look handsome or as close to handsome as michael lawrence as i possibly can and as smart as chris lawrence and as amazing as sam boone i've made it
2: (laughs) Michael Lawrence. You just oh, say Chris Lawrence. Like, oh, is it Chris with or Chris without
0: an I, though? Because this is what right. we... Yeah, you spelled your name wrong tonight, Chris. Oh, like, I never changed later. it from last
2: time. I so, spell everything wrong.
0: It's all right. It's okay. We still accept you. Um, oh, let's jump into the housekeeping, because we want to get I, right into this. So Chris, yes. what do we got for housekeeping.
2: Housekeeping. Uh, well, say it every week. Join our Discord if you haven't already. That's really where I think the core of our community lies, both from um, everything from important stuff like pictures of your food. No. Um, mentorship, job posting, system engineering things. If you actually want to interact with Michael, that's the best place to do it. A lot goes down there. We just crossed over 650 members there. Um, and it's it really is what this is actually about. It's more than what we are talking on the microphones here. So,
1: i'm gonna I'm gonna advocate for the other side join our Facebook group we have four thousand five hundred yes. members and uh come to find out we have a bunch of people from down under oh. and possibly Germany and Finland and yugoslavia and it, it's becoming a community but a lot of those ones are switching over to the discord as well it, it's so the i, I, I will the say they kid.
2: both have their different purposes right so there's definitely a lot more dialogue that happens hence the word discord obviously right um but there's it's <laughs> Um, they both have their places, but yes, if you if you really want to ingrain yourself with a community that's kind of been evolved around a podcast, I highly suggest that you join Discord. Um, and Chris, you're
1: doing Instagram, oh yeah, Instagram, too, so photos, photos podcast, yes. Tag us in your photos if you're out doing the I thing. Do any, I, I always like to I see your things. That,
0: so. If you see <laughs> anyone in the wild, tag them on Instagram.
2: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly. We
0: and we're gonna be at Nam. Well, Chris yes. and I are gonna be at Nam. Kyle's gonna be on tour. Sam's gonna be on tour. Chris and I are going to be at NAM at the ProSound Web Loudspeaker Showcase. I'm going to be mixing the show. Chris is going to be the MC with all the bass in his voice, and bring your ham sanitizer. Um, let's let so let's jump right in. We're going to come back to the NAM thing in just a minute. Okay, Our cool. guest this week. Boy, I've been so excited for this. Sam was making, making fun of me all day. This yeah, is awesome. I'm really excited. I hope I say it right. Dr. Heather Malyuk. Did I say it right, Heather? Yes, I got did. it.
3: Okay. Doctor. Get the doctor
1: Get the part, right. part right. That shit's Heather real. Heather and I
0: met at the National Hearing Conservation Association uh, Consortium or whatever it was. I gave a presentation about some of the sound exposure tools that we have built into SMART. And we connected and we've been talking about all sorts of related stuff. So she's She's very generously volunteered her time this week to come and talk to us about sound exposure and hearing loss and uh, musicians and sound engineers and all sorts of stuff. And and boy, we've got questions. Heather, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you
4: for having me. It's been been great knowing you. And actually, it's funny. Since I met you and started learning more about the software, every time I see an engineer, I ask if they're using it. Nice. And um, I work with a local... mega church i mean they're really big and i asked the front of house guy like hey do you use smart and he does and they just sent me all their data from easter sunday and he's Ah, like hey let's analyze this and i was like yeah let's write it up let's like write a little paper so um i think what you what i anyway i don't want to fangirl too much but i really (laughs) i really like the process don't worry i'm really into it
0: well
1: we're gonna fanboy too on
0: you as well. we're all just panicking it's fine Yeah, it's really cool so (laughs) (laughs) so that's good stuff uh so we had we had some some cool questions that came in from the community but before do that um how did you get into where you are now i mean like we you and i were chatting a little bit a couple weeks ago about audiology and kind of the how you would get into something like that it's very unique we talk a lot about audio and how it's so male dominated and that's something we're trying to change audiology you said it's like 80 something percent women which is really interesting
4: it's i think it's like 89 percent female yeah um
1: they listen way better.
3: <laughs>
4: you know I, <laughs>
1: They remember everything.: it's
4: True. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, I don't know why exactly. I do remember learning that because audiology really got its boon right after World War II, that that could be one of the reasons it's been female-dominated um, as an industry, but I think there are a lot of different reasons. Um, but yeah, my start gosh, I was in the music industry for a long time. So I started performing out of the house when I was like eight. I play fiddle and guitar. Um, I, ended a, I, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up getting a, I wish I ended up getting a degree in music. Not
1: violin, Michael. <laughs> fiddle. I
4: can play violin too. I, I did a little bit of orchestral work. Not my favorite. I play Appalachian old time yes. um, fiddle and guitar yeah. and, yes. and did some some Yay. touring, not like what you guys do. But when I was in my teens from about age 14 to 21, You know, you can only get so far in old-time music, but touring around, and um, I was a street performer at Disney World for a while, and uh, I ran sound for my sister and I. That's who I played with on my little Fender Passport system. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) anyway, long story short, studio work ended up being my favorite, and um, I still do quite a bit of studio work when I have time. Um, I got a Performer's uh, Emmy Award for a soundtrack I did, and... Ooh. So anyway, that's to say I led a full life in the music industry. And then after I got my degree in music history, I wanted to become an ethnomusicologist. And I started a master's program for that. What? So it's just like the study of ethnic music. And, the, you know, the job in that is, OK, you go get your master's, your Ph.D., you do field work And then you end up being an academic. And I started the master's degree, and I had what my dad called a come-to-Jesus moment. And I was like, this is not for me. I don't want to do this anymore. This is is not what I had in mind. And um, long story short, I saw an ad online for audiology, for a local audiology program. And I was like, what's that? And I went to the library and looked up some books on hearing, and I read one about cochlear implants. And I was like blown away. Because even through my years in music school and meeting people in the music industry, hearing had never come up. My ears had been ringing since I was like 16. (laughs) And I was like, Uh I was kind of offended, you know, that I never learned about it. So I ended up applying to um, Kent State University here in Ohio where I'm at. And um, my entrance essay was just, hey, I'm a musician. I love my ears. I want to learn more and help my people. And here I am. That was two thousand. That was the end of two thousand eight. That's awesome. Um, So yeah,
1: (laughs) it's it's amazing that you took that route because I love that your spin is way different than normal audiologists. And and I think that's where we're going with this is Michael got us all amped up because you are really paying attention to the artists and exposure levels opposed to like hearing aids and normal sound issues that that other humans have Uh, I think uh, how many are there of you that actually really pay attention to our entertainment business
4: I'd say in terms of best practices and doing things ethically um, about six of us
3: yeah there's about 18 there's about 18,000
4: audiologists in the US now I will say many many audiologists are musicians and audio engineers and and love music, hmm. but the this niche like hearing conservation and care of music industry really isn't taught in schools, and people kind of no. get, you know, you you learn what you learn and you know what you know. <laughs> I had the opportunity to learn from Dr. Michael Santucci. He owns Sensophonics, and yep. he's one of the I think of like three guys when I think of the fathers of of music audiology. Mead Killian. Michael Santucci and Marshall Chasen. Marshall Chasen's up in Canada. He does a lot in the orchestral community. He does a lot with hearing aids. Uh, Mike Santucci is the in your monitor guy. And then, of course, Mead Killian is etymotic research, you know, the filters and the filtered earplugs. And if it weren't for me getting to spend a year with Mike as a student of his in the clinic, going out to tours and seeing he grilled best practices into me. And if I wouldn't have had that chance, I don't know if I would be practicing the way I do because that the information just, it just isn't out there. And so a lot of audiologists fall into the trap of going out to a tour or seeing somebody and just doing the ear impressions
3: mm. and
4: never, never doing anything further. And it's not because they don't want to. It's just that they don't know how to, really.
0: Well, that was something that... I guess it was a it was quite a bit of a perspective shift for me. You know, I was kinda of talking to my friends before I did this the NIOSH talk. Like I was like, I gotta go talk to a room full of degreed audiologists about hearing loss. Like that just seems so ridiculous to me, you know, like that I would be you know, that I would offer anything to and you were like, No, like they're not taught this stuff. They don't know this mm-hmm. stuff. So and then I you know, I have on my shelf the, the handbook of clinical audiology here. It's a thousand page book. Twenty pages of that are about sound exposure.
4: We need like a nerd alert sound.
0: Yeah, when you bring up something like <laughs> yes. that, and I mean that's, that's the whole Michael's podcast, voice. But, but you know, that's when I kind of was like, all right. So I guess you know, and for our our side of things in the in the, the audio industry, it is amazing to me in a bad way how we just continue to repeat super outdated stuff about hearing and about equal loudness and about sound exposure. Like, I mean. Fletcher Munson is 90 years old and we still talk about that like it's gospel and we've learned so yeah. much since then, you know? So part of a huge speed bump for me and for us at Rational Acoustics when we started to kind of get deeper into the SPL stuff was you sort of have to unlearn a lot of bad stuff before you can then go and, and learn the right stuff. So we had to do mm-hmm. a lot of re-educating ourselves, re-educating the, 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 the curriculum that, that we teach in class. I've been very thankful to the NIOSH folks for sitting through my presentations and reviewing my material and making sure that what we're saying is is accurate and is based in current science. But that's been a, a big journey and a big adjustment for me is, is just realizing how much of this, quote, conventional wisdom that sound engineers have is not actually current or accurate at all.
4: Same with audiology. Brilliant. It's the same. It's amazing. And I think it's Brilliant. just because at, at the end of everything, you've, you're dealing with humans, people with busy lives. Years go by, they learn one thing and they don't have time or energy to update their knowledge. I, I really think that's partially what it comes down to.
1: Same, same with hearing loss. I mean, we, we really don't tend to approach it until we get negative results. Yep. And that's our it's too late. Yep. So welcome to the show. <laughs> so. I mean,
4: I'm saying, yep, because I see this all the time in my clinic. I saw a 26-year-old uh, monitor tech in my clinic yesterday getting ready to go out on a tour. He has had... Ear pieces, different things made for him before. He's never had a hearing test done till yesterday. And oh, he's man. got a major injury in one of his ears, you know, and that could have been avoided if someone would have taken the time to educate him, test his hearing. You know, he didn't know anything about using in ear monitors safely or what kind of hearing protection to wear. And I, this is like almost a daily occurrence for me, seeing people from the industry that I love, because I consider myself more music industry than audiology and thinking, there's so many injuries out there that could have been avoided. Wow. It's pretty sad when you stop and think about it.
0: Uh, that kind of plays into. I sent you a couple of questions that our community had kind of contributed, and that that kind of plays into the first one, like the the I guess how widespread this this is. Um, so for those of us who are just kind of out there doing this day to day, like, what are some things that we need to be mindful of? What are some you talk about best practices a lot? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing plugs all the time, <laughs> you know, like, so like, what what are some what are some just top tips for us to preserve our, our hearing health?
4: You know, one of the things I think that's cool about living in 2022 is all the tech we have at our fingertips. And if I were on the road, I saw the one question you sent was about sound dosage and what you're really exposed to with load in and load out. It's not just the show. It's kind of your whole day. Um, I think I'd be wearing an Apple watch with a dosimeter on it. You know, and maybe it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate. It's not measured at your eardrum, you know, all that stuff, but raising your awareness in that way is so easy to do. Mm -hmm. And even easier, which people miss. And this will forever boggle my mind. Getting an annual hearing test. Mm. Is so easy to do. And no, you might not get every frequency tested because a lot of audiologists don't test above 8,000 hertz. And the way our systems are calibrated, we often can't test below 125. So you're gonna get speech frequencies. (laughs) But the main frequencies you look at for injury from sound are between 3,000 and 6,000 hertz. So if you're getting that checked every year, it's your verification. Um, What's really unfortunate is so often in the music industry, you go to see an audiologist and they don't test your hearing. They, they schedule you for a 15-minute appointment to take the molds, and that's it. So for anyone listening, please just request a hearing test. It's so easy to do. So those are like a couple things that come to mind immediately. And then, yeah, having a pair of good earplugs on hand. And it doesn't even have to be the custom ones. I know they're expensive, or sometimes people can get them from Music Cares you know, if they can't afford them. And yes, yeah, some are better than others and there's different types of filters i'm not going to get into all that especially now there's all these new filters coming out the frequency response isn't as flat but even if you have a pair of universal fit like etymotic er20s i really like if people don't want to have expensive plugs um good. they're good keep them on your keychain
0: mm-hmm. have, have them ready in case you need them chain. Same yeah thing, you know um i just want to throw out because a lot of people don't realize this there are some national chains in the U.S. that will do a free audiogram for you once a year. Like Hearing Health USA is one of them. You just call there them. There you go. And, and, and when I asked for the printout of it, they were like, really? Like, I guess no one had ever asked for that. But I have them and I keep them in a folder. And But yep. yeah, it, this can cost you zero dollars, you know?
4: Yep. Although, if you can catch a music audiologist... It's nice because you'll probably get the extended high frequencies Mm -hmm. tested, like either up to 16,000 hertz or 20,000 hertz. And, yes, we probably – we don't gig for exposure, you know. Like we're going to charge you, but it might be nice to see how you're doing up there.
0: Well, I think about the money that people spend on the analog outboard gear or the compressor plug-in. Like you can can scrape together money. None of that matters if you're hearing – you can't hear it right. Yeah.
1: Or, or even certain IEMs, yeah. you oh, know, yeah. like the, the amount that people spend on those, they think they would take care of the ears that they're attached to most of the time.
3: You well, know?
4: you know what, though?
1: I'm guilty of that. There's... I'm guilty. I'm guilty, guilty, guilty.
4: <laughs> but when you look at the marketing for a lot of in-ear monitors, and people tend to just trust marketing, a lot of them tout safety. They tout isolation. They tout hearing preservation. And that's not true. I mean, those that's... That's a lie. Even um, Sensophonics, I brought up earlier, I directed their clinic for a while. They're known as the experts in safe sound. Well, the output of their in-ear monitors, if you crank them the whole way in like a studio setting, they get over 140 dB. Not that anyone's going to listen Oof. quite that loud, but I mean, it's it's how they <laughs> you fit you and how you're educated to use them, how you wear them. I mean, so so I think part of the issue is marketing, to be honest.
2: So let, then let's let's talk about that. I mean, what are the... <clears throat> Um w wh- wh- okay. what are what what are the th- Yeah, sorry, I I tried to move off mic, I couldn't do it quick enough. Um <laughs> clear my throat, sorry. Um <laughs> What what are what are the things that people should be looking at from a health safety standpoint when it comes to to, to in ears?
4: Well, ideally they'd have a conversation with their audiologist about their needs, their hearing profile. I don't like to say hearing loss. I always say hearing profile. So whatever they're hearing is like,
2: that's good. language. Um, I, I like that. That's, that's 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 because I, I think that difference in language also encourages the dialogue of, of, of what it is we need to be careful about what we're thinking. I mean, that's, that's way different profile. I think, because honestly, we've talked There's about this in other here. Let's be well, honest. Is, right. So here, and we've talked about this in other fashions of, you know, us as sound people have egos. No one wants to admit that they have you hearing loss say. or have damage. <laughs> right. so, well, but so the same thing here. It's like, I think, I think people, one of people's biggest reasons for not getting tested is because it's like lying to yourself of not wanting to face mm-hmm shit i have damage whether it's your own fault whether it's just time whether it's whatever like that's i, 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 I don't have look, any damage me, you know yeah right um uh, <laughs> i mean i look i'll i mean was was be transparent i personally have not gotten tested my, my hearing tested uh through the years enough literally because of that because i'm afraid to find out what what i don't know
4: but you know what, let's think about I'm reality. Of a prostate. So, if you go out and listen to you know, 50 different front of house engineers and they all sound pristine. H- half of them might have qu- quite a notch in their hearing. I mean, the the thing about talking about hearing loss is that so many people in the music industry, the reason I don't like to really call it loss, you can ear train to it and work really well. Mm-hmm. I don't often see injury or loss alone affecting someone's career i usually see what we call music-induced hearing disorders affecting careers and that would be like tinnitus ringing in your ears or diplocusis which is pitch perception issues or disacusis which is like distortion another yeah, big one we're, is we're gonna have to put a glossary
2: in the uh, show notes of this thing <laughs> <laughs> so
4: basically I like the pitch so thing. basically pitch pitch issues distortion sensitivity to sound that's a big one, mm-hmm. and and tinnitus, ringing, like those are usually why someone will say to me, "I I can't work anymore, mm-hmm. I can't do my job anymore." Um, I had a call with a a principal player in a big symphony in the states yesterday afternoon. Called me, um, had just gotten a dismissal letter from the orchestra because oh. of pitch perception issues. Jeez. Now again, this is someone who that pro- it probably could have been avoided. Um, And so so what I'm saying is, if you go and get a hearing test and see you have some injury, does that change how you're working other than maybe you're going to be a little safer? If your mix is good, it's good.
1: Yes. And I think that has to deal with the vibration and coming from the artist side of it. If they have pitch issues, the vibration of the instrument, whether it's their throat or a guitar or a cello or whatever the case may be is, I've seen a lot of people lean it against their jaw mm-hmm. or lean it against their body to get pitch perception. And I'm glad you said that because that's one of my super pet peeves is, is pitch. Mm. And I, 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 That's amazing that you said that, but yeah, it can be corrected. It's one of those things where if you're one with the instrument, uh, the vibration will be able to tell you where your pitch lies as well. Well,
0: I mean, I think and Heather, like you can talk more about this, but I think part of your fact that you specialize in, you know, musicians hearing and sound engineers hearing, it means that you have techniques and coping mechanisms and things to help people deal with this loss and and have good careers. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, uh, I know like my audiologist here in my hometown, lovely lady, you know, she doesn't specialize in this, but she doesn't know the full way to deal with, you know, she, the things that you would do to deal with hearing loss for an average person don't necessarily work for someone who listens or is in a loud environment for a living. So.
4: I I can give you an example. Please. Uh, Somebody I saw recently, lead singer of a band. And obviously this is, I never give names or band names or anything because. It's private, you know. Just say HIPAA. Uh, but,
2: HIPAA. Just say
4: HIPAA. I'm just
3: kidding. HIPAA,
2: but also okay. just HIPAA. respect, know, you know. I'm, I'm like I'm
4: not. I don't. You know, there's a code. Um, but le- nice, nice person, lead singer of a band, um, experienced Taylor Swift. Sudden, bon jo- sudden bon hearing loss. Do you guys know what sudden hearing loss is?
2: <laughs> what? Sounds, I mean, it's I mean, it sounds, what it yeah. yeah.
4: So sometimes it can happen from viruses or things like that, where you wake up in the morning and you're you've yeah. lost hearing in one ear.
3: I've had
4: that. You've had that. So, di- so did you get steroids? Did you get your hearing back? Well, I shouldn't ask you on air. I mean, yeah,
3: I did. But, um, yeah,
4: okay. I can't hear Not those kind of steroids. <laughs> this person did not. I mean, other kinds of steroids, um, and sometimes it comes with other side effects. So, this person I'm I'm talking about the the hearing didn't come back fully after steroids. But what was worse was oh. there was a really bad distortion to the hearing in that ear, such that this person felt that they could not go on with their Oof. with their tour, with what they were doing. And obviously that comes down to people being employed. You know, there were calls from management. How can we figure this out? This is, this is bad for all these people who are employed, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention the person it was affecting. We ended up using an in-ear monitor system that has what's called a cross function, which is a contralateral routing of signal. So what we did was it has an active ambient feature, we routed all the sound from the side that had the, the distorted hearing into the good ear. So I had a couple telehealth visits with this person and their monitor engineer. Wow. And we, we just bypassed the distortion. And what's cool about your auditory system is when you use a cross system like that, your brain fills it in as a 360 response. Like You don't know it's all coming in one ear. Your brain thinks it's both. So um, this artist was able to overcome this this injury that happened, and and that wasn't from sound. That was a viral thing. Um, and and everyone stayed Fucking employed.
1: Science,
4: <laughs> which is
1: that's awesome. Everyone <laughs> can
4: keep working, which is the most important part right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do this until I'm 90. So
4: that is yeah,
3: awesome. So what that, are the that, best
4: practices? Oh, ahead, right, no, like sorry. we talk we talk about prevention a lot. Like I'm paranoid. Like I won't even drive the windows down in my car, um, mm-hmm. because of like road noise. And all of that. So, like, what are, when you say best practices, like, practically, what are we talking about in terms of preservation? Yeah. So, best practices, that term really has to do with like what the audiologist does. And sometimes it's going to be on you guys to guide them through that process. So, that is when you go for an appointment, getting some education about sound levels, about your hearing mechanism, um, getting a hearing test with as many frequencies as you can. Um, having ear impressions taken the correct way for in-ear monitors or earplugs, having the selection of whatever you're getting done the right way. Now, granted, that can get a little hairy because a lot of people go to the audiologist and they already have an endorsement deal or, or something. So, you know, that's not always flexible. But then one thing that's often missed is the follow-up care. So I already mentioned the annual hearing tests and stuff. That's one thing. But, for example, if you go see an audiologist and you get filtered earplugs made, you should go back for a, p- a fitting and request a fit verification test. That would be best practice. So here, I'll, here's an example. When I, yeah. fit, when I fit a pair of filtered earplugs in my clinic, on everybody who comes in for a fitting, I do what's called a real ear attenuation at threshold measurement, a REIT measurement. And all that is is measuring... Frequencies of hearing without the earplugs in and then with so I can see the frequency response and I can see the attenuation level so we can see if they've met spec or not. Like, it's so simple, but these are things that are missed all the time. Actually, I just saw audiologists love their Facebook groups. We have several very large Facebook groups that are very active and um, often audio engineers are complained about in these groups. And I saw a post the other day. I'm not even kidding you. It's really, it's funny. Um, I saw a post the other day, an audiologist put up that she had an audio engineer come in and she tested his hearing and he was so ungrateful. And, you know, she tested him up to 8,000 Hertz and he wanted higher frequencies. And then he, he knew the earplugs weren't fitting correctly. And so he went back and said like, this isn't sealing right, but she didn't do any kind of verification test on him. She asked him if they were comfortable. And that's not a verification of fit. It's not. And so, of course, then I it commented and no one listens to me ever and it's fine. But there are best practice guidelines that the American Academy of Audiology has put out um, written about like step by step. Here's what you do with a music industry professional. And then that fit test can be done annually. I mean, you can make sure your earplugs are still fitting from year to year um, and doing what they're supposed to be doing. So that's just one example of you. And, you know, you can do that type of test with um, In-ear monitors as well. I mentioned earlier before we were recording that I just completed a study on in-ear monitors with a colleague of mine. And that's a a measurement we took on four different manufacturers of in-ear monitors to see if they met spec for what they were claiming for isolation, attenuation. And most of them did not meet what they were claiming.
2: We'll talk offline Um, about that. Anyway, no. um. But,
4: but, I mean, these are easy tests that can be done clinically that you can request.
2: I question the... The FIT test or the verification, is it anything more than just the typical, hey, raise your hand when you hear this, do, don't hear this? Or is there any way to actually measure beyond that? Or there verify? are
4: the, – the, the REIT test that I just described is sort – it is like a hearing test without the plugs and then with. Okay. There are other ways with probe microphones that you can insert and measure, you know, insertion loss and frequency res- response and stuff that way. But sometimes when you do that, you get a slit leak with your fit.
3: Sure. Uh, So I, you know,
4: I like just the tried and true read, even though it's simple because it at least gives an idea of, Hey, is this actually fitting you properly? Um, and the idea of frequency response, you know, when I, uh, when I was living in Chicago and Mead Killian, who again, from etymotic research, he had told me once that he sends out fake orders occasionally to different labs that make earplugs to see, you know, if they meet spec or not. And, um, most of them don't a lot of the time.
2: Jeez.
1: So Sending out his hypotheses to, to make sure that they're coming back the yeah. same. That's now, cool. there
4: are a couple labs that do, and I'm not, I'm not here to promote anything, so I'm not going to say who. But if you're not meeting spec, you can send the plugs back. Mm-hmm. Like You shouldn't be ashamed to say to the audiologist, you know, I really want to get a better frequency response. Can we please have these remade? Something doesn't feel right. There's no shame in that. Your ears are your whole job.
2: I got a myth busting question. Um, mm-hmm. All right, yeah. <laughs> oh, go I, I was taught, told uh, early on in the business that um, your ear bones are constantly—they're um, like the one bone in your body that's constantly um, changing or growing into or shrinking through your lifespan, and that's one of the reasons that uh, you every couple of years um, you should get remolded, especially if you have major weight loss or gain. Mm. Uh, is any of that Factual: uh, How long would someone's fits actually? What what would change them to not fit? Uh, Short of the manufacturers, whatever they're using to make the mold shrinking and things like that. Yeah. How about the actual human side of your ear?
4: That's partially true, except it's not your bones. The bones of your ear are behind your eardrum in your middle ear space. They're the three smallest bones in your body. They fit on half the size of a dime. And that's where, you know, the, the hearing system is like I a microphone. <laughs> that's the mechanical <laughs> energy part of your ear. What you're talking about is cartilage and, okay. and fat deposits. So your ears do stop growing <laughs> around age nine. But as you age, you lose elasticity and and collagen and things. So you get like, you know, saggy lobes and things like that. Easy and your, Easier
3: <laughs> on the old people. Your
4: canals can change shape over time. You mentioned weight gain or loss. So like I tend to see anything like 15 pounds or more will change the diameter of an ear. I had a guy maybe six months ago come in, um, was about to go on tour, wanted to get these really expensive in-ear monitors. And he just happened to say as he was leaving how proud he was of of himself because he had just started like a diet and exercise program and he was going to lose like 100 pounds. Nice. And I said, please don't spend this much money on these in-ears. So we ended up doing – like, sure, in your monitors with custom sleeves so he could get them changed because I'm like, you're gonna, you, these won't fit you in a wow. And then you've wasted your money. So, so yeah, that was par- partially true.
2: So, for everyone who put I, on I the COVID t- 20 and you're back in the business now, <laughs> she's back, you likely need to go get your ears remolded. Yeah, everyone's
4: <laughs> like, my in your monitors are a little tight. What happened?
2: <laughs> Snacks.
1: That's what's happened. So, I have, I have two weird questions that always come up with all my audio friends. One, ear cleaning, Mm -hmm. and two, what to do when you get off a plane when you're congested?
4: Oh, that's a good question and especially important for you touring guys. Um, Ear cleaning, let's start there. So most of the time I would say don't clean your ears at all because earwax is good for you. It's antibacterial and it's antifungal and it's a natural moisturizer. However, it can also increase in-ear monitor repairs. If you produce a lot. So, I mean, there's a give and take here because you don't want to be spending a couple hundred bucks every couple months. Um, oh, did we oh, lose we Kyle, lost Kyle and
0: Once somebody's it's, Somebody's rig fails at some point during it, every yeah, episode. Yeah,
2: once an episode, so, it's, it's a sweet. thing. It's back, just, there he you, is. Keep, oh, oh got he's got
4: it. got We're taking turns, apparently. It's yeah, not this time. We'll
0: have to wait for this to come out to get the answer to his question, I guess. Um, so... Sam's you laughing because we just had a fight about this, Heather, because I, I was doing Coachella oh. and it was just dust and shit blown into my ears for two days. Yep. And so I yeah, yep. I'm like, get the shit out of there, man. <laughs> She's well, like, oh, you I know,
4: play them. <laughs> Well, most people most people would use Q tips, which is a bad idea because it can push the wax, you know, farther in and it can go through your eardrum and all that stuff. I like the over-the-counter kits that are drops and little bulb syringes where you can flush the wax out with water. Hmm. And I do some, you know, I see this sometimes with, um, I do some factory gigs like OSHA hearing testing and I'll look in ears and I'll see a lot of grime and they're pushing the foam earplugs in and I often recommend those kits to, to people like that. The only caveat, there are a couple caveats here. If you have a history of a lot of ear infections or if you've ever had surgery on your ears, that kind of thing, you might not want to do something like that in case you have any little perforation or thin spot in your eardrum. You don't want to actually put a hole in your eardrum.
3: So if you do, so
4: if you, if you're somebody like that, then you want to go and get them, get the earwax removed. The other thing is earwax doesn't really produce that quickly. So let's bring it all, all back to my point. I always make, if you are seeing your audiologist annually, Mm. you'll get it removed there. If there's enough to remove, I mean, most people wait like ten years.
1: What about those weird candles?
2: Yellow. Oh, I was going to say that's, that. What about the ear, that the, is, the That's they don't work. Don't, it's don't been put it's been proven. not in your ear, please. Like don't
4: do. It's that. been proven they don't work. I I, I like the over the counter kits. The other thing is
2: people need to know
1: that
4: <laughs> when you're that. when you're using one of those bulb syringes, just be careful. You want to use like shower temperature water because if it's too cold, you know you can elicit a dizzy response. And that can be kind of dangerous. So, you know, just make sure it's it's warm, warm water. What was the, oh, the other question? Congestion. So once in a blue moon, someone will have really bad congestion. They'll take a flight and maybe their eardrum will perforate or something like that. But that's rare. They're, the best thing I've heard of from some ear, nose and throat physicians I've worked with and things are earplanes. Those are earplugs you can get that? that will they'll they'll adjust the pressure um, more slowly. So if you if you do have a cold or something and you're worried about the intense pressure in your ears, I have heard that those work well. I have not used them myself. Um, I have. They're great. Yeah. Oh, are they? So I you, have, okay. I have a
3: doctor that recommended them.
4: Nice. So I think that I think those are a good option. Of course, people can always do what's called the Valsalva maneuver, which is where they plug their nose and blow. blow. Yeah. Yeah,
1: But it's usually, the congestion is usually swelling at that point from the pressure, right? I mean, it's usually a glandular thing. Like you said, ear, nose, and throat, and that was going to be yeah. my third bit of the question was, how much do you actually work with those for ear problems? And and congestions, one of them. I mean, you get off a flight, you have some... A clogged Mm -hmm. ear for a little bit. And I Mm -hmm. usually head to the Benadryl or a a Claritin or something or an anti-inflammatory so I can kind of get that pressure to go down. But sometimes it takes a while. It really does. That
3: pressure stays.
4: But you can do other things during um, takeoff or landing. Like you could chew gum, yawn. You can massage where your eustachian tubes are. You know, those connect from your middle ear to your nasopharynx at the top of your throat. I mean, it's sort of like... you know what they say when you have a baby who's nursing, make sure they nurse on takeoff and landing because it keeps their eustachian tubes moving. Um, so that kind of stuff you can do. And ear, nose, and throat physicians, I I work with not a lot, but I have one in particular at the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Neil Cherian. He's an otoneurologist. He works with musicians. He's very, very good. And I I will often refer patients to him who are dealing with. Um, sound sensitivity issues or tinnitus. His specialty is tinnitus. And um, so, yeah, I do work closely with some
0: ENTs.
1: Fascinating. That's all I got to say. This is fascinating yes. already.
0: So, you know, one thing that there's sort of a cultural shift happening right now in the audio industry, and it's just a bit around the awareness of these topics, like the, the, the analogy that I use that I found out at some point that you also use, which is amazing, is the uh, smoking, right? So you know, smoking in the 50s versus smoking now, like you cannot pretend in 2022 that you don't know that smoking is bad for you. You know, the the cultural understanding has changed. It's the same with, with, with concert sound exposure and occupational sound exposure, uh, recreational sound exposure. The, the working group that I'm part of with the AES, we did a survey of like 2,500 audio engineers to sort of just find out what, everybody's feelings were about this and what what is your awareness of these topics and what do you feel about you know SPL speed limits and these types of things and overwhelmingly people said yes we are aware that we're operating systems that can hurt people we're aware of the professional obligation that goes with that we do believe there should be some regulations and some guidance on this um, but and one of the things that came back was, we want to learn more about it because everyone understands Mm -hmm. that it's important, but I think we're at the stage now where the awareness is turning into, okay, well, how do we actually do this? Um, And obviously that's a lot of what we've been up to at Rational Acoustics is, um, you know, something like turning on our exposure measurements. They're on by default now. So when you install smart out of the box and you hit start logging, or you look at an SPL meter, you are generating an exposure data. You don't have to go in and turn it on. It's, it's just there. So it's, you know, I've been saying it's like a little bit of a tugboat just mm-hmm. to kind of get more awareness of these things. But we have, I mean, you've, you've endured one of my, uh, one of my workshops on this, right? Like we, there are a, a people who are legitimately. <laughs> He's very charming.
4: I loved it. I thought it was cool. I think every audiologist
0: should have to take it.
3: <laughs> like
0: we, people want, you know, a lot of people who, who, who are mixing monitors or mixing front of house. They want to know how to measure this. They want to know how to understand what's safe and what's not safe and where that line is. And they want to be able to do this responsibly. It's just a question of giving people the tools and the understanding to, to use those tools. And, and that's sort of what, mm-hmm. what I've been doing for the last couple of years is right in that area now.
4: And I think that's the way it should be done. I really don't – I'm not a fan of regulations. Mm-hmm. I think that people should be free and educated. And Just I think right. at, like
3: <laughs> freedom,
4: right. I think education is way more important than regulation. And, That's uh, right. you know, you know, you can put regulations on things. I, I, a perfect example of how this can be misunderstood. I had an audiologist contact me recently. She had an audio engineer patient who was getting in your monitors and she wasn't quite sure how to, how to educate about them. And that was fine. She was reaching out to me and she said, well, He's probably okay with them because he tours in Europe and there are regulations there. <laughs> and I said not for in your monitors. Wow, you know, that's true. it's so there are there are some misunderstandings there. And then also during your class Michael we were talking about the the crowd being loud. If mm-hmm. the crowd is louder than what you're mixing, you mm-hmm. can't You know, you've got to be able to hear the music too. So I I kind of shy away from the regulation thing, but I do think being able to see the levels and having education about exposure. And another thing we had talked about was, well, what do we look at primarily? The NIOSH, Mm -hmm. you know, recommendations. Well, are those appropriate for live music? Those were designed for industry, really. Mm -hmm. So it would be nice to have our own safety scale.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, this is, it's cool because a lot of these things are stuff that, that I'm like, researching right now as we speak i mean i'm editing a paper this week on, on crowd noise um nice the, the thing with NIOSH and i've spoken with the NIOSH folks about this at length and it's it's sort of the best model that we have right now um it's better Real than quick, all the for, other for, ones, the, right? for
2: those who don't hold on michael so you don't yeah. run over anybody who doesn't yeah. know what what is niosh and, NI- and osha okay, can gotcha. you just, just so, yeah
0: so <clears> most folks are at least passing familiarity with osha Occupational Safety and Health Administration and they deal with what is what you can legally expose an employee to in the United States at at the work site. And they have regulations for everything that include chemicals. One of the things that they they regulate is noise. And so there's OSHA indicates the point of legal liability. So a lot of people, and this is a good myth to bring up because it's a myth and I hear it all the time, they feel that if their mixing or whatever is under OSHA's permissible exposure limits, they're safe from damage. And that is not true. OSHA indicates the point of legal liability or when it has become so bad that it becomes classified as a workplace hazard. So, Well,
4: <laughs> OSHA indicates what's probably going to protect 75% of people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So 25% of those people will still have yeah. hearing loss as defined by them, which is, which is, I consider pretty significant. 25 dB or more in one or both ears is a lot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So NIOSH, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, is under the Department of Health, not the Department of Labor, and they're a lot more concerned with what's actually safe. And, and so the NIOSH recommended exposure limits, it's right in the name recommended versus permissible, does a lot better job of protecting people. I think it's what, 7% uh, after 40? Yeah, 8. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So yeah, so like just to give people who are listening a kind of a comparison, 100 DBA SPL on OSHA would be safe for two hours, where NIOSH it's safe for about 15 minutes.
0: And, and we, we can monitor those both as an exposure dose in real time. It's just like if you're working around radioactive material, you wear the little badge and the, the higher level of radioactivity you're exposed to, the quicker you're going to reach your, your safe dose, then you got to leave. So in SMART, we have dosimeters for both OSHA and NIOSH. And what's amazing is to sit there and watch them go up and you'll get to OSHA will be at 5% and NIOSH will be at 85%. So you're, you're, you're almost at a full dose for, for the NIOSH guidance and OSHA hasn't even really gone up yet at all. So it, there's such a gulf. Between what people think is safe and what's actually safe.
2: It's it's pretty alarming. Yeah. yeah. And so and you're so, talking
4: about for front of house engineers. Yeah. There is a device called D B check that anybody who uses in your monitors can use. It reads the drive voltage off the pack. It used to only work for Sensophonics and sure in your monitors, but there's a new version coming out this year that can read any company. Ah. And it gives you the OSHA and NIOSH minutes of safety. So you have a, a like you say, a speedometer mm-hmm. for your ears. Nice.
2: I, I will say, we'll I'll, we'll drop I'll drop links in the description. Obviously, Michael and Rational has done multiple talks that go way more in depth into NIOSH and OSHA and um, you know SPL over duration and all of those things. So I, I, I know we can't spend all the time now on those things because it literally would take an hour more to go through all those. And Michael, quite frankly, has already done those. So we'll drop links to those to continue this education. So after listening to this, I encourage you if you want to understand more about that. Click on those and we'll go deeper into exposure over duration and what that looks like. Because, And the spoiler alert is that, yes, you can have a nice, air quotes, loud show that is comfortable, feels good, and is safe, all-encompassing if all things are considered.
4: Yeah, yeah. And from the audiology perspective, if if anybody's wondering about it in terms of selection of in-ears or plugs, through my clinic, Soundcheck Audiology, I have a little video curriculum. Nice. That, it's a it's a nine module kind of course, um, and it's discussed as well from from a different viewpoint.
1: So, are you guys spending a lot of times going back and reevaluating hypotheses because it was for occupational and not for entertainment sound pressure levels? Or, I mean, it seems like you would have to do a lot of cleanup to get to a new spot with your data. Um, just because it was ran for so long underneath you know a normal day to day working environment opposed to those who are exposed to concerts on a on a regular basis. It seems like you yeah. guys would be dispelling myths a lot to get the the data correct.
4: Well, what's interesting is clinically, I mean just through if I looked at every patient who follows NIOSH as a case study, it's effective. you know i have I do have a lot of guys. And and some women, although the, the industry is really mostly men, but some women uh, coming back annually for tests, or maybe I I have equipment that I take backstage when people come through town, and their hearing is stable, you know, and we're measuring levels off their in ear monitors, and they're at safe levels, and they really work at it, um, and so just from kind of a case study perspective, I do find that NIOSH seems to be effective for this crowd. One thing that's That we're starting to look into on the audiology side are other types of tests that might show injury that don't show up on the typical audiogram, the typical hearing test. So I mentioned extended high frequencies. You guys would just call them high frequencies, (laughs) but audiologists (laughs) call them extended. So anything above eight thousand, you know, we're looking at do those do those show injury before they show up Mm. at lower frequencies, Um, and then also another type of test called otoacoustic emissions. I work part time at the University of Akron. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, we're looking at we're we're looking at um hearing and police officers pre and post-shooting. It's part of a Department of Defense grant. And that's one of the tests we're using, is autoacoustic emissions. And it's it's a test that essentially measures an echo that comes off of certain cells in your inner ear. Um, so, so it could be that in the future we have different recommendations for how we test hearing and how we look at this criteria. I, I don't know if we'll see that in our lifetime or not. I hope we do.
1: What can Signal to Noise as a community do to promote this for you? Like, what would you like to see the, the audio engineer community do to promote safe stuff?
2: I I like the no regulation thing, but
3: I
1: I,
2: I like the the no regulation thing. I I wanted to make a comment when we were there. So on some degree on the regulation, I feel like, and Michael's talked about this, we have an obligation as an industry, like see something, say something, right? Like, in other words, like if you, the whole, like you see something rigging wise happening, that's not safe, you know, so like, and we have speed limits on the road for a reason, Right. Like, but so th- there are boundaries that you can work within. Like it's, you know, 65 miles an hour is a speed limit, but yet you're probably not going to get pulled over until you do like 75, 80. Right. So like, like, but I, you I've, can
1: also post it like they do strobe lights, well, you they, know, they, Hey, right. if but you don't regulations
2: wanna... is a lot of them are shitty that, uh, you know, I spend a lot of
0: time okay. doing yeah. like expert witness stuff because it's a law that doesn't make sense. So that's you know, a nice thing about the world health organization, global listening standard that just came out is they mm-hmm. looked at, they looked at research papers that, that me and my group worked on. They talked to audiologists, they talked to professional sound engineers. So it's rooted in reality. And I don't think it's a home run, but I think it's, that's the kind of stuff that we want to be doing. It's not just. Sure. It, it, I mean, that's all things vehicles. being, <laughs> e- all things
2: being equal. I mean, It's also why, you know, it shouldn't be a 35 mile speed limit on a, on a highway either. Right. So, I mean like there, yes, I, I agree. There needs to be some, uh, but I feel like we're moving towards the education. Right. And so I'm, I'm actually somewhat okay with the venue regulation to a degree because I think, I guess, I guess maybe as long as it is rooted within the safety well, it's aspect, a more of care. you got people in your venue, right? Yeah, I
1: think I mean,
4: signage is a great idea.
1: Yeah, signage is a great idea. If you don't want to bite them on their wallet and foaming at the like, mouth, you put up a thing that says, "Hey, strobe lights are in use." Um, what?
0: What, what it, about the? That's you know, long, it's one thing to educate. They have to notify It's you. one yeah. thing
2: to educate audio engineers, but I mean, quite frankly. Concert goers are more susceptible to hearing damage than the audio injuries themselves, especially just because there's more distance. people distance and and you're at a festival for 12, 14 hours in a day. You're in the front row because you had to wait for Billy Eilish to hit the stage. Yeah, like, but you do it, you do it to, once a month. We do it four times a week. I was just going to
4: say they're not doing it every day, every night.
2: Some but of the engineers I work pleasure. with,
4: man, they're, work, they're working every day for months and months and then yeah, but one tour to the next. Don't
2: you have the potential to have even more damage being two feet from that speaker even once or twice a year than you do you know, every night? I mean, because of the- Maybe. Yeah. But,
4: Maybe, but then I think of the, again, thinking of monitor world instead of front of house, where they don't know how loud they're driving them. And sometimes I've taken measurements off of them and seen 113- DBA, SPL.
1: And you you can't escape in-ears. There's no escape. So sometimes when you feel pain, like when I was a kid and went to see a metal show in a little club and they brought in tons of speakers, like there was actually a place like I could go, that's enough. I Mm can hear waveforms. I need to walk away from this PA. Yeah. And and with in-ears, it's just like your exposure level you see your artist doing this all night you know what I mean or mm-hmm. popping an ear or whatever And we've talked mm-hmm. about that on previous podcasts like that yeah don't
0: damage, do the one ear please holy cow
1: yeah yeah don't do the one ear and if you see an artist pop one ear definitely warn them
2: well since we're um, educating can we can we discuss why not to do one ear I, mean, I know we've talked about it before but we're we're talking about hearing health right now so we're remiss not to mention mm-hmm.
1: Damn it. Yeah, yeah. yeah verify why, that why, we were right Chris. yeah <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> We weren't so, talking shit.
4: <laughs> your auditory system, which is, you know, all the anatomy that you can think of and then every part of your processing system in your in your brain, your brainstem in your brain. When you've got the same signal coming through two ears, it adds up in your brain. It's called binaural, which means two ears, binaural summation. And for inputs below 90 dB, your brain thinks it's 6 dB louder than it actually is. And I know I'm just saying dB, don't don't take me to the dB police for not having a qualifier. He's anymore. on
1: the show, but <laughs> <laughs> but
4: if your if your input is ninety dB or higher, your brain thinks it's nine decibels higher than it actually is. So it's insane. When you pull one ear out you have to compensate for the lack of binaural summation. So not only is that other ear exposed to what we call the noise floor around you, which could be injuring, especially say if you're next to a side filler or a drum kit or what have you, but then you also have to increase your signal-to-noise ratio, which is perfect for this podcast, (laughs) by increasing the level on the ear that's still listening. And part of that is what we call central masking. So the sound coming into the ear that's open is is essentially making it more difficult for the ear that's listening. When I see people in my clinic who've been doing this for a very long time, the ear that has the in-ear monitor in gets so much injury. It's so bad. And so that's part of the reason why active ambient technology, which came out in, what, 2006. Part of the reason why that was developed was so that people could keep both in-ears in and then mix in the room around them and keep it down. And of course, now the new iterations of that even have analog limiter technology and all this stuff for safety. Um, but that's kind of the quick and dirty on why not to wear one in your monitor. And I did see, Michael, one of the questions you sent me earlier was from someone who's working with an artist who won't listen he said no pun intended but (laughs) continues to wear only one yeah and i mean all you can do is keep trying you can't you can't force your artist to do something. I mean, that's your boss. That's your job. But you can show how much you care for them. Usually the monitor engineer is sort of the the gatekeeper to hearing wellness. In that situation, the audiologist kind of goes through the monitor engineer. So the more someone can be educated and keep encouraging, the better and maybe have them try some different technology that might allow them to keep both in, have them get a hearing test Mm -hmm. if possible. You know, have someone come out to the venue or whatever, do some hearing screenings or testing. So just keep educating. If that person's listening, you, you can't force someone to do, to care for themselves.
2: Is there short of literally silence or duration of silence or what, what, from a recovery standpoint, what, sure. is there anything to do other than just, you know, Hey, you know, like, um, yeah, what, what's, what, best practices for recovery after exposure?
4: If you have what's called a temporary threshold shift, so a temporary shift in hearing after you're exposed to sound, so maybe things sound muffled, your your tinnitus has increased, you know, things like that, it's approximately 16 hours of wow. recovery time, which you guys don't ever get right i mean well, you usually finish defi- the show define no that though i mean is that
2: but that's i mean can we you know that would that, be like that's that's not riding home in the car with music on the way home from the gig and then the tv when you're at home like right we're talking you know like n- as much as next to nothing as possible or what, what does that look like
4: it would look like what's what's below those standards we were talking about like keeping it below, yeah, I
2: think NIOSH, you know, 70. Yeah, 85, I think,
0: is the bottom end of the NIOSH range. Yeah,
4: but I would go even lower yeah. than that. You know, I you just made me think of that meme. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it where it says, you know, you get in the car in the morning and you say, whoa, I'm not the person I was last night because the radio is so loud. <laughs> you know, that could be a sign that you were dealing with temporary <laughs> threshold shift the night before, that you were having to crank it up. And you get in the next morning when your ears are fresh and you go, whoa, who was that person? You know, so, that was a, a swelling of the hair cells in your inner ear and edema that prevents them from moving properly.
1: The older I get, I get more hair. Weird. <laughs> yes. uh, so it, it, is there any benefit to water or vitamins for hearing health or anything in, in in the food network? Like, is there anything that we could eat that would make it better or vitamins or?
4: There's studies going on about that. Um I, let me first say supplements are not regulated the way that other things are. So sometimes people will take, start taking a bunch of vitamins for things. And there was a recent study done showing that like most over-the-counter vitamins don't even have the vitamin in them. Garbage. So keep that That's in a, mind. I want to Just try to get to it from start.
1: food. You know, the, the first source is always food in the digestion. So like,
4: Antioxidants uh, are good for ears.
2: Pomegranates
4: in, in, in large quantities. Now How about I think tacos? you would have to eat a oh, lot you know, of it. antioxidants. <laughs> <laughs> a ta-
2: a taco, is good for our ears. <laughs>
4: yes. I, I want to say whatever's good for your soul is good
0: for uh, your ears. The tacos, uh, tacos oh, are good for our ears. <laughs> apparently,
2: yeah, like Milky Ways. <laughs> three so
4: Musketeers. So here's the thing: overall health is really important for hearing health. So you know causes of hearing loss beyond sound. Aging is not really a cause of hearing loss for most That's frequencies.
1: That's right. Listen to that shit. She's a doctor, <laughs>
0: doctor.
4: But there are thi- there are certainly things related to aging. The the other big one I,
0: I, I think say about presbycusis because I know that <laughs> don't word, say and saggy. I feel like it's appropriate time to just presbycusis say is age
4: age related yeah, hearing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hearing loss, not age caused hearing loss. But you Michael. know when you when you think bit. about <laughs> when you think about a touring lifestyle, especially. Things that are important for your ears are a good diet, exercise, sleep—like everything that would be good for the rest of your body—and that is so hard to do when you're on the road. Um, I have squats. A, I mean, just, <laughs> it's it's about your blood flow. Yeah. Really. You, the, the blood supply to the inner ear is the nutrition to those cells to help them recover. So your overall health is really going to impact your hearing health. And there have been studies done on antioxidants. There was a study done years ago, and I the company is still in existence. They, they're called Sound Bites, and I think they're out of the University of Michigan now, I think. Don't quote me on that. But they were looking at vitamins A, C, E, and magnesium, and in animal models, when they were given this formula, it reduced their risk of noise-induced hearing loss by about 50%. And I don't know. Wow. I lost track of the studies and what the company was doing because I moved home to Ohio. That's when I was in Chicago. Um, and I moved home to Ohio in 2017. So I don't know where they're at with, with human studies. A lot, of this, a lot of the studies are done on animals. And then we don't always have the same results in humans. in
0: hamsters listen to Metallica all day or something like that.
2: (laughs) Over and over. (laughs) I got another myth or question. So when people are sleeping, namely myself, um, uh, (laughs) uh, people, people often use noise machines. And so I've heard, you know, like, hey, you should you should be resting your ears, and you're making your ears work overnight. Is that a thing? Does that like is is it purely like if if you're below the like active like threshold of of, of damage or whatever? I mean, like, are you eating into any of that time? Am I exercising in my ears and shouldn't be? What's what's the, what's the deal with with sleeping and 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 noise while you're sleeping?
4: I don't I don't have a citation on this. I'm just going to put that out there. Which Michael was kind of laughing earlier via email that I would even yeah think I was of like we got one hundred and fifty episodes in and no one's
0: talking about citations yeah um, so you're cool Wopsies. but
4: <laughs> I, if you're if you're under sort of that threshold of causing injury I don't think it's an issue I have a lot of um, people who I work with who have really bothersome tinnitus. And they listen to sound at night to help them sleep, because otherwise they're not able to fall asleep or stay asleep. So I think it's okay um, if you're listening at a safe level. I remember going to one lecture, I think the I think the researcher's name was Martin Pinkowski, I want to say. And this was years ago. And he was he was starting to look at the use of sound machines for infants and whether or not it it had an effect on their auditory processing. Hmm. As they grew, um, and and again, I haven't kept track of that research, but I think for you as an adult, listening to sound at night, if it's not above that threshold where we consider it hazardous, I think it's okay. And I know it's very helpful for people who have tinnitus.
2: For, for me, it's not t- t- tinnitus thing. It's it's a uh, I can fucking pardon me. I can hear everything, you know. So it's like it's that that dead silence is is it, it, a, a misses with my mind, quite frankly. So Yeah. <laughs>
3: so
1: my yeah. my daughter, we talked about this before. My daughter's like that. Yeah. So I remember when I was a kid, a little kid, I would sit and listen in my bed and I could hear every squeak, every thing that went on the house and it like grew and grew and grew and grew until it was almost overwhelming because I was listening to so much noise that was just happening naturally. And my daughter does that too. Mm. Like when we went outside in the snow and the snow acts as an absorbent. like you can hear everything from every direction. And like, I think, I think heredity plays a big part in this. And I wouldn't have never known that unless I had this child with ears. It's crazy.
4: Maybe. I like to fall asleep with the news or something on just because I find I can't Turn my brain off, so I have to have something else to listen to that's not my own thoughts, so that I can, you know, relax. I,
1: I try to do that. When Just I'm listen work. to the
2: I'm podcast; should be good.
1: <laughs> no, I try to do
0: yeah, that. It'll, be, when si- I'm it'll
4: be signal to noise from now on.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, you will fall asleep very quickly. Uh, so, H- Heather, I know, I know that our community has had a lot of interest in in the stuff that you're talking about, and you know the uh, the work that I've done. You've know, had I've seen so much interest in. and in, we're just something we're interested in the sound engineers and and we want to be responsible and we want to be safe. So how how can people follow what you're doing and and get in touch with you and keep up with with the work that you're doing and and you know wh- if someone's like yes, I love this, I want more, where do they go?
4: Yeah, I have um I have a website for my clinic soundcheckaudiology.com. I don't update it that often, but I do have social media channels on Instagram and Facebook and I I'm a pretty good about once a week or so I'll post some some research, that kind of thing. So you guys know what's going on. Um, I have my curriculum. I discussed what's new this year is that I started working with a telehealth company called Tuned. So I'm their head of audiology, and I've what's so cool is I've been able to see artists from all over the world for consultation appointments, which has it's made it very easy to do that. I just saw a guy in Europe. Uh, about a month ago him and his manager where they had gone and seen a non-music audiologist they had some ear impressions taken they had a hearing test done and then they spent an hour with me learning about sound levels and in-ear monitor safety and it was so cool this guy's manager cares about him so much it's a young artist he's just starting and like he's got beautiful hearing and his manager was like you have to do this now you have to learn this now. I'm not going to let you hurt yourself. Oh, it was just so beautiful. So um, telehealth has allowed me to start doing that kind of thing as well. And I'm hoping to do more of that. As you know, I'm expecting my first child. I don't, you know, I don't travel as much as I used to. So that's given me like a world, a new world to work in, which is fantastic.
2: How about if if someone is wanting to find uh, a, a music? Sp- you said there's only six of you or so <laughs> in, the indus- in the industry. In the industry, is there a network for them? Can they reach out to you to find someone in their just, area? Just like- ask
4: me. Just okay, ask cool. me. So cool. I'm Heather at SoundCheckAudiology.com, and I'll find you the closest person. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And if not, here's the other thing. Sometimes not, people te- reach out you, to me. You, you,
2: you could do telecare, right? So. Well, I can do telecare,
4: <laughs> but sometimes people will, will reach out to me and ask. And if there's no one near them, I'll just give them sort of a checklist of what to ask about in the appointment. Mm, I might send good. them those audiology guidelines and say, hey, you can take this into the appointment. Sometimes people will have me on the phone <laughs> during their appointment. I mean, <laughs> there's there's a bunch of ways to get good care. There's There's no reason to not care for yourself. It's 2022. I mean,
1: and we have possible. one Michael Lawrence who is almost a doctor. <laughs> he's, he's as handsome as one that I plays one on could TV. Be almost a
4: doctor. Michael, you should become an audiologist. Wow. You should.
1: Yes, he it's should. Time. I feel like I have to do some He homework, should be a doctor. Though.
0: I thought I was past that point in my life where I had to do homework. How much homework did you, you have to do? You do homework
1: every day.
4: I mean, there were a couple really tough classes like neuroanatomy and. My dad and I were reminiscing about that the other day, actually, which is kind of funny because <laughs> no, it was so around. it was so long ago. And I was living at home, and he said, "Do you remember sitting at the kitchen table crying over <laughs> flashcards for like neuroanatomy?" And I said, "Yeah, I do. It was terrible. It.
0: You're not telling me on it." Yeah,
4: it. but you know, other than that, what's what's so interesting about school? I think everyone everyone could say this about any degree. When you're in it, it's just all this information you're absorbing. But the coolest part is now I'm ten years into my career. And it's all, it's, it has all come together for me. And the stuff that I learned that I thought, when am I ever going to use this? You know, I use all the time. Um, so yeah, it's hard at first, but it's totally worth it.
2: So to circle back to the beginning, this is very important here. So how does one choose whether they're going to play the violin or fiddle? Do you just jump in at oh, fiddle? Wait, or, yeah, no, for I, real. I can answer this. And she said Appalachia right, I, so I want to point it uh, that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Sam Boone, Appalachia. This, I was thinking this,
0: and yep. I didn't say it, but I'm going to say it now. So I have a friend named Amanda Shaw, and she's a she's a New Orleans fiddler. Um, they had that uh, IMAX movie, Hurricane on the Bayou. She was the one who played all the all the violin uh, on the soundtrack for that. And someone asked her what's the difference between a violin and a fiddle. And she said, "A violin is carried in a case, and a fiddle is carried in a rice sack." That was her. Oh, answer. I thought
4: you were going to say one has strings and one has
0: strings. <laughs> <laughs> strings. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. So, oh, no, she didn't. She Heather. didn't answer. No, I, just didn't. I like.
4: I mean, I like pressure. both. I grew up. I grew up listening to old country music. Like Buck Owens is my number one yeah. all time. He's my favorite. You know, and and I grew up going to folk music festivals and my dad plays ethnic accordion and so folk music was just kind of
2: but so i'm assuming so when you when you if you grow up just learning fiddle you're not reading sheet music and and right you're it's more of like playing by tabs type of thing so i grew up doing both which was
4: awesome and that it's sort of i mean it's like being bilingual
1: did your family play folk music with you? Did everyone like grab yeah. an instrument and do it oh man So my
4: so sort of my mom's dad was a recording was a self-taught folk artist who did recordings in the 1930s. Awesome. He played banjo and button box and stuff like that. And then my dad I mentioned is an accordion player. My oldest sister is a amazing classical pianist. She's a professional pianist. And then my other sister, who's older, is um, a hammered dulcimer player, and she plays the nice. ukulele as well. Wow. <laughs> and that's who I used to perform and record with primarily. And now I really like doing – I like playing behind singer-songwriters, it's like, which <laughs> sounds kind of cheesy, but I like it. And I like studio work because I like to do a lot of layering and make things thick and experiment. Um, so that's, I, I just prefer studio to live because of all the creativity you can do, we're live. You just play and then it's done, you know?
0: That's so. awesome. Well, there you go.
1: This has been so fascinating.
0: I know. I'm pretty excited. Oh, thank it, you. I've been texting these guys all day. i have been just like so excited for this. It's so been, been two weeks. Are
1: you kidding me? Like I, we've been <laughs> pumping this thing up for over two weeks. Like,
4: Well, this was really so fun. And actually I would love a follow up for audiologists oh. to listen to. I, it would be cool if you guys made a list of like things I wish audiologists knew. Or things that, I wish ooh, audiologists that's do would for
2: your community. do that's in appointments. I think do. that would be
3: awesome.
0: Yeah, we, yeah. We'll do it. Well, th- so, then we should maybe
2: right. even talk about doing some type of panel where you bring on maybe in in the audiologist community. Let's maybe have a broader discussion about this and talk a little bit more. And maybe some audiologists say what they didn't know, what they've learned through this process, and this reach. could probably evolve into a into a thing. Reach. I think that'd
4: be I think that'd be great. And what's awesome is it could reach audiology students before they're in their lives and busy and too busy to learn. You know what I mean? And I think of the guys, I keep mentioning Mike Santucci because he's one of my main mentors. He started trying to educate audiologists in 1985, he started. Mm. And he always says it's like Sisyphus rolling the stone up the hill. And I, I honestly feel like it's still like that. So we need a new take on it somehow because for some reason, something's not quite clicking for the audiology community. So, yeah, you don't have to work out. at the
1: Sears hearing aid department. You can actually do something <laughs> fun. Remember well, that's,
3: Se-
4: that's but you that? know what? That's the problem because when I talk to audiologists, the first thing they'll say is like, "Oh, who have you worked with? Who's famous?" And I'm like, that that doesn't matter. Like all ears are famous because they're ears. So
2: oh. you know, like,
4: or someone will say, "Well, I I got my picture with so and so because I took their molds." And I'm like, but did you test their hearing? Yes.
2: Yeah, so did you help them? Did, did you, you help you with their, help their hearing them? health? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: no, I poured this awkward stuff in their ear and let it sit for a few minutes while it was really uncomfortable. And then now, granted, I
4: I can't always test hearing. I think of this one artist I saw a couple summers ago. Actually, it must have been summer of 2019 because it was pre-COVID. Um, wanted to be seen after the show. I I'm not going to say who it was because this was hilarious convinced he had to be seen immediately after the show because that's when his ear canals were their biggest because of (laughs) (laughs) listening and I was like okay that's fine whatever and then (laughs) and then we get on the tour bus and I was like ready to do a hearing test and all this stuff and there was just like there were like 30 people in there and there was music blasting I'm like hearing health is not happening tonight like so I did education (laughs) took the ear impressions everybody had had too much to drink and I was like you know what I'll catch you next time you're in town. So once in a while, a hearing test can't happen. Once in a while.
0: So here's what I really want to know. We're all coming to Ohio to come visit you. Where are you going to take us to eat?
4: Oh, probably to my mom's house.
2: Yes. Ooh, we Ooh. What, what, <laughs> what's, she, what's, what's she making?
4: Oh, gosh. She's just the best cook.
2: Right, well, it could be it, anything. But if, if you had to call mom right now and say, Mom, I want my dinner. What, what is that?
4: Do you guys like <laughs> Mushrooms.
2: Yeah, Dumb. I don't we got, like mushrooms. We got morels upstairs. <laughs>
4: She's got this amazing recipe she makes. That's chicken with this mushroom sauce. That it's my it's my go to. I mean, a few weeks ago when I was really sick, Michael, when you emailed me and I was like, I'm too baby sick. I can't do anything. She was making me this chicken recipe. And go. then we we also make this dish called halushki, which is dumplings and cabbage. It's really really good. So like just that. good home cooking. But we also Let's have go good taco moms. places around here. A couple good taco places. All
2: right. This question should be fitting, given y- y- you yeah. pursuing this industry and, and, and all. So if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that?
4: Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I'd want to be known as someone who had integrity and dig- dignity and ethics. That's what I would want to be known for, and that's what I I really strive for. That's why this discussing the music industry and care and things are so important to me because I feel like that's where that's what's really lacking. You know, even there's in the marketing only six of, of you. Or. <laughs> You're,
1: you are a pioneer. Like that is, I'm amazing. in a line
4: of a line of pioneers. Like yeah. this, you know, the re- research on filtered earplugs and stuff that was in the early '80s.
1: You are so. a pioneer. So, and I have I have some people
4: cow. who are my sort of my same generation. And then I'm very excited. I now have students who are practicing who have set up clinics. I have a, a student I mentioned earlier, Laura, Laura Sinnett, former student. She's now my friend and colleague. She's presenting my in-ear monitor data at NAM. So that study oh, that we did. Speaking she, of which we didn't
2: do, did we mention that earlier? The, the, I don't know, but yeah. she's there's we, gonna be oh. a
4: session with Andy Bolavia from Knowles and Dr. Laura Sinnett. And they're gonna they're gonna to talk about in your monitor safety, and she's gonna present some of my data. She's a fabulous music audiologist, and she's just set up shop in New York. That's
3: awesome. Um, and
4: then, I mean, so there's people all over the country, um, and then there are audiologists who. Who are learning and really trying and you just might have to help them along a little bit. That's it. Well,
2: I, I, I can speak for all of us that we uh, you know, Michael has already done a lot with rational in terms of education of of, of hearing health and this is I think going to take the next level for us as a community like that from a rational front. Well, this is now I think the start of the signal to noise front in terms of pushing our community towards hearing health and knowledge and education so uh, at least that's that's how I intend to move forward from here. So we will definitely look forward to sharing a lot of your stuff and 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 talking more and and yeah this is this is good stuff awesome Awesome. thank you thank you so
0: much
4: thanks for having yeah i knew that joke was gonna come up I knew it always
2: Kyle does it every week it's God.
0: fine it's, we're used to it like what? every
4: patient of mine I'll say something and they'll say what and I'll go "I oh I, I never hear that joke and then they never get my pun <laughs> but you know what's really bad is when someone says that and they're actually saying what and I like make it into a joke
3: <laughs> a sphincter says what
4: <laughs> and it's not really a joke it's <laughs> amazing uh, but amazing. yeah I was gonna mention you know I did mention earlier sense of phonics now I think a lot of people A lot of people wear their in-ear monitors and don't realize that they have a brick-and-mortar musician's clinic in Chicago. When I was the clinical director there, sometimes we'd get tour buses that would just pull up in front of the clinic and everybody would file out. Um, So, like, a lot of the music industry audiologists will go on-site, kind of like me, but a lot of the tours go through Chicago, and if you're there, you can all go into the clinic. You yep. know, and have full hearing testing done, and they test up to eighteen thousand hertz. Um, I, I
1: I will say, with Fallout Boy in like two thousand six, two thousand seven, all the folks from Sensophonics came out because they were a Chicago local band, mm-hmm. and uh, Sensophonics hang, hung out with us, and we tried out the ambient uh, packs that they released. Unfortunately, at the time, I'm sure they were they've gotten better, but they were massive, and all the guys in Fallout Boy are tiny folks, so <laughs> the packs are bit-
4: smaller now, and they're app based which is yeah, cool.
1: But everyone but, liked the soft gel inserts that they were using because at the time everyone was using hard resin and these were the ones that were more comfortable. And for sweaty kids jumping around, swinging their guitars all over the place, um, they seemed to fit better. And, well, th-
4: they, the isolation's better, mm-hmm. which that's part of that study I just did. But even if you don't wear Sensophonics, what's cool about the clinic is when I was there, People used to come in who wear JH and UE and whatever, but they'd come in for the care part. You know, the hearing testing and stuff. It's it's more about caring for people there. Um, so I'm saying that because not everybody comes through Northeast Ohio where I am. I'm I'm near Akron, Ohio, but um, but most people go through Chicago at some point in the year.
0: Awesome. Sweet. There you have it. Heather, thank you so much. This has been a a blast. Uh, We really appreciate you uh, sharing your time and and expertise with us, and I'm sure our community will appreciate it as well.
4: Thanks for having me. Doctor?